Well, hey there, Chase Oaks. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm thrilled that I get to be with you here in part three of our series where we're looking at the Old Testament character of Abraham and our series Far From Perfect. But before we jump in, I need to address the boot. Uh, some of you have asked what I did to my foot. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a great story. So here's a better story. Um, so I was chasing after a purse snatcher. And as we were crossing the street, I also noticed a puppy in the middle of the road that was about to get hit by a car. And as I rescued the purse and the puppy, uh, I turned my foot and hurt my foot. That is my story. And I'm sticking to it. Actually, it's a, I just, a few weeks ago, I fell awkwardly and I broke my foot, which means that now I have to wait uh, for several weeks for my foot to get better so I don't have to hobble around in this thing anymore, which is very unfortunate because I hate to wait, which is kind of a segue into the topic of the weekend, actually, because we're going to talk about something that is so familiar to all of us, and that is waiting. Does anyone love to wait, to be in the slow line at the grocery store behind the, you know, the checker that's really slow or to be stuck in traffic in a traffic jam or to be waiting for that family member to finally get ready so that we can go already. Does anyone love that experience? Now, most of us, you know, or a lot of us have those types of experience just about daily. And we, you know, as unpleasant as it is, we kind of learn to deal with it. It's not that big of a deal. But other times, it is a very big deal. When we're talking about the issues of life that really matter, or when we're talking about waiting on God. Maybe it's, a, it's an issue of injustice in our culture or our world that we just pray about and we pray about again and again and again. And we know God could do something about it, but he, it doesn't seem like he is. And we, we find ourselves, just like that John Mayer song that we just heard, waiting. We just keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. Others of us, many of us, waiting is much more personal because there's some issue in our life, there's some circumstance that we are dealing with that we have been praying about and we've been praying about and we just want to cry out, God, what is taking so long? Have you forgotten about me? Have I, have I done something that caused you to, to not care anymore? Maybe we're praying for healing or just some relief from some physical ailment or mental issue that we're going through. Or maybe we're, we're praying for reconciliation in a relationship. Or we're praying for provision, for God to provide a, a, a better job or a job with benefits or something that provides for our family a little bit better. Or maybe we're praying and we're just waiting for God to bring that special person into our life that we could live life with. And we've been praying and we've been praying. And the more that we pray, the less that we see. And we say, God, where are you? I have been praying for years for this. Well, we are going to see that this issue on display in the life of Abraham. But before we jump into this story, um, I want to give two points. One is just like last week, this is not a success story we're going to look at. This is a cautionary tale. In this series, Far From Perfect, Abraham was a model of faith, but a very imperfect one. And our hope here is to learn from his mistakes. 
two, um, this particular message, we're going to be looking at Genesis 16. It's kind of a part two uh, in a, a two-part message looking at the story of Abram, Sarai, and Sarai's slave, Hagar, um, that happens in Genesis chapter 16. A, a few months ago in the fall in a series that we called uh, The Names of God, we actually talked about this very story. And um, we looked at it from, because, because in Genesis 16, there is a name of God that is revealed to us that we can learn. It's called, uh, that name is El Roy, two words, E-L-R-O-I. Um, and it means God, the God who sees. So in that message, we talked about this story from Hagar's perspective. Uh, in, this, in this message, we're going to talk about Abraham. So let's... Um, Oh, so if, you know, there's a lot going on in Genesis 16, and so if uh, you want to learn more uh, after we go through this message, just go onto our website and search The God Who Sees and find that message in the, uh, the Names of God series, and you can learn a little bit more. Okay, Genesis chapter 16. Before we kind of read the passage, and for us to understand Genesis 16, it's important for us to remember what happened back in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abram, and remember, like, God eventually changes their names from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. So if I go back and forth, they're the same people. Abram and Abraham, Sarai and Sarah. So God comes to Abram, and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And this nation will live in the land of promise and will be a blessing to the entire world. But there's two huge obstacles uh, for, for this to actually take place. One is that when God first comes to Abram, Abraham doesn't know where the land of promise is. God just says, I want you to go. I'll tell you when you get there. And which is a huge step of faith for Abram. The second obstacle is by the time God comes to Abram, Abram and Sarai are already advanced in years and they've never been able to have children. So if a great nation is going to come from their lineage, like how exactly is that going to happen? Well, when we, so, so Abraham leaves, he goes, which is great. But as we've seen over the last two weeks, it was a very circuitous route because it was imperfect obedience. Abraham you know, makes it very hard on himself. And it takes a lot of years for him to actually get to Canaan, the, the promised land. And now that we're in chapter 16, we're going to see that he has been in Canaan for 10 years now. He's 86 years old at this point. And if we look ahead in the story to when God actually fulfills his, you know, this part of the promise and gives them a child in Genesis chapter 21, Abraham will be, will be 100 years old. So when we're in Genesis 16, it's important to remember that they are, Abram and Sarai, are in the middle of a multiple decades long wait for God to fulfill and do what he said he was going to do in their life. And that should give us a little bit of Sympathy. Imagine being in that culture where so much value is placed on our ability to pass down our lineage to, to our children and to future generations and how important that is. How, imagine how difficult it would have been for Abram and Sarah that they couldn't have children. How many times would they have prayed 
for children? How many times would they have longed for a child? How many times would they have cried because of their inability to have children? Now, now imagine what it would have been like for Abram to be approached by God in an unmistakable way and for God to say, I am going to give you a child and not just a child, but through that child, you're going to have this great lineage. There's going to be more descendants than you can count. It's going to be a great nation. It'll be a blessing to the world. How do you think that made them feel? Excited, maybe? Apprehensive? Doubtful, maybe? I mean, I wonder how many times they had the conversation of Sarai saying, now, are you sure you heard right? I know what I heard, Sarah. You know, I don't know why he sounds like this, but in my mind, it kind of sounds like that. You know, I know what I heard. And so they just wait. And days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years, and years turn into multiple decades. And then we get... To chapter 16. Let's read it. <clears throat> now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for this wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows that she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord then found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son, to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Okay, there's a lot going on in that chapter. And much of what seems completely outrageous to us was customary and legal at that time. At that time, if... Uh, if a couple was unable to have children, um, the wife could, if she so desired, she could provide for her husband a slave as concubine without the slave's consent. And if that concubine then had a child, the wife could keep it as her own. This is bonkers and completely immoral and legal and customary in that culture. 
But God, just because it's customary in the culture, doesn't mean God's going to bless it, which is a whole other sermon for another day. That just that God doesn't bless it just because it's a cultural norm. In fact, this decision that they make um, not only puts Hagar in a terrible position and, and, and brings incredible pain and injustice into her life. It also complicates things tremendously. Because when God does bless them with the promised child later, the, their son Isaac, and that family tree then is going to have to deal with the consequences of this decision for centuries. All because Abram and Sarai just got tired of waiting. And they got tired of the silence. And we can, we can resonate with that, right? I mean, they had been waiting for so long. I, I, I'm surprised they lasted as long as they did. But eventually they just said, forget it. God is too slow. He is taking too long. And he's not answering anymore. He's gone silent. For, forget it. We're going to do this our own way. Not only was, was God not providing, but it seemed like to them that what God had told them to do just wasn't working. Have you ever felt that way? Like maybe, maybe in your work life. Like have you ever felt like pursuing, like trying to be a person of honesty and integrity isn't actually helping to advance your career? And we, and we keep waiting for God to, to, to bring a break, to bring a new opportunity, to bring advancement. Or just we, just we just wait to be noticed. And it just doesn't happen. And we think, God, I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm trying to do what you've called me to do. And it's not working. I'm stuck. And my career is going nowhere. Or maybe in relationships. Have you ever felt, you know, that, that, that trying to be God-honoring in your dating relationship isn't helping isn't helping you find that person that you want to spend your life with. And you say, God, I'm, I'm trying to do it the right way. Why is this taking so long? And it's so tempting to just say, forget it. Just forget it. God is good, but what good is he? Honestly. Must I wait forever? You know, there are two... There's two primary themes that we see in Genesis 16. The first is God is turned toward the outsider, which I'll talk about here briefly, just a minute. And the second theme is that the wait is part of God's process and plan. Now, for that first point, I'll be brief because we kind of talked about that in part one of this message in the, in the message that I referred to just a, a little while ago. But let me just say this. When Abram and Sarai kind of take hold of the situation and do things their way, they not only greatly complicate their own lives and the blessing that God has for them, but they also bring tremendous pain into Hagar's life. And she experiences injustice, and she is um, abandoned and essentially left for dead. But God sees her, and he hears her, and he goes out to her, and he cares for her, and he blesses her, and he promises her that your descendants are going to be a great nation too. And your descendants are going to be more than we can count, than you can count too. 
And Hagar was a nobody. And Hagar's the one that actually gives God the name El Roy. You are the God who sees me. Because, and, and, then, and then God says, the child you, you shall bear will be called Ishmael, which means God hears. Because God sees and God hears those whom our culture doesn't see and doesn't hear. And this is an important lesson for us. Because many of us here are in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are part of his family. And he has made certain promises to us. And he will fulfill those promises. And we are his family and he loves us. He'll fulfill those promises. However, or nevertheless, God's heart is always turned toward the outsider. Always. And he is eager to show his mercy and to show his love. His heart is turned to the outsider and so should ours be. God saw Hagar And he heard her cry, and he bound himself in promise to a people group outside of his chosen people, which is kind of hard for us to wrap our head around. But Genesis 16 makes it clear that that God did not exclusively commit himself to the lineage of, of Abraham through Isaac. He also provided deliverance for a people group like outside of that family as well, which kind of raises an interesting question, and that is, who were the descendants of Ishmael? Well, Ishmael was the father of the Ishmaelites, which we see multiple places in the Old Testament, uh, and they stood in opposition to Israel and fought against Israel for a long, long time. Traditionally, it is believed that the Ishmaelites were the forebears of at least some of the Arab tribes, and many Muslims believe that the lineage of the Prophet Muhammad can be traced directly to Ishmael. Now, those two things, along with the prominent place that Abraham and Ishmael have in the Quran, have led many to talk of Abraham as the patriarch of the three monotheistic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Judaism and Christianity through Abraham's son Isaac, and Islam through Abraham's son Ishmael. That's the traditional view. However, uh, the Bible does not indicate that Ishmael was the father of the Arabs or of the Muslim faith, and the historical evidence that point towards that is sketchy but it's the traditional view is that view true um i have no idea i that is way outside of my area of expertise um what does seem clear though is that ishmael became the father of the ishmaelites and the ishmaelites fought against israel and were a thorn in their side for a very long time And also, historically speaking, at some point, the Ishmaelites just sort of cease to be. Um, They don't show up anymore. And does that mean that they went the way of so many other ancient nations that were just defeated and wiped out? Or were they absorbed by another people group? Did they live on under another name? Like, I I don't know. But what's clear is that even though God had given himself in covenant promise to Abraham and Sarah and the child that they would have, Isaac and their lineage and all of that, his heart was still turned towards the outsider, eager to bless and eager to save. That's very clear. And also it's clear that Abram and Sarai's impatience caused a mess because the weight 
is part of God's process and plan. The wait is just part of it. Over and over in the Bible, we see God's people having to wait. Sometimes for a very long time. It could be Abram and Sarah waiting waiting for decades for the promised son to be given. Or maybe it's Joseph waiting and feeling forgotten in an Egyptian prison. Or maybe it's you know, Moses feeling left you know, and forgotten out in the wilderness before God calls him into action. Or even the nation after, after the Egyptian exodus and they're just wandering in the desert waiting for 40 years before they can go in the promised land. Or maybe at the end of the Old Testament, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God goes silent for 400 years. In my Bible, that is a one-page gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is 400 years. Abram and Sarai, when they take matters into their own hands and they do it their way, they short-circuit what God was doing in the wait. Which then causes me to have, there's two questions in in the short amount of time that we have left that I want to look at. Question number one is, what is God doing in the wait? And then question number two, what does it mean or what does it look like for us to wait well, so first, what is God doing? What is God doing while we are waiting? While we are praying for provision, while we're praying for reconciliation, or we're praying for something, and, and it doesn't seem like God is doing anything and we're waiting, what is He doing? Is He ignoring us? Is He toying with us? Well, it could be that. Several things. Um, it could be any number of things. Like one, it could be that what we're praying for is not actually ready yet. That God is working in circumstances, working in people. He's moving the chess pieces around. And what we're praying for just isn't ready yet. You know, I, I talked about the 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it seemed like, you know, in the, the, the Old Testament ends with the prophets looking forward to Messiah. And then God goes radio silent for 400 years. Not a word from the Lord for 400 years. And it seems like God had just forgotten them. But when we look at history, we know that in that 400-year in, in span, Alexander the Great takes over the entire known world. And he ushers in a common language, Koine Greek. And then the Romans defeat the Greeks and connect that entire world with Rhodes and bring about what historians call the Pax Romana, this unprecedented era, unprecedented era of peace, at least for Roman citizens, to travel freely throughout the entire Roman world. No other time in human history up until that point would have been as ideal for the gospel to enter into the world and then spread like wildfire. That's hard to say. Wildfire. Which would cause uh, Paul to later say in, in Galatians that in the fullness of time, God sent his son. In the fullness of time, when everything was ripe, when the time was finally ready, when everything was ready, Jesus came and the wait was over. Because if the, when the time isn't right, you can't force it. But when the time is right, you can't stop it. Or maybe what God is doing, maybe it's not so much that, that, uh, that what we're praying for isn't ready. Maybe we're not ready. Maybe it's not so much that, 
you know, maybe we're focused on circumstances that we want to change. And maybe God's focusing on us and the things that he wants to change. Maybe it's character issues that he's wanting to change or chipping away different areas of sin in our life or molding us through the weight to be more like his son. Or maybe he's shaping our desires for something different that God wants to do. Maybe what we're praying for, maybe God has actually something better for us than that. So he is shaping us and he's changing us. As we focus our attention on circumstances that we want to change, maybe God is focusing his attention on things that he wants to change in us. Or maybe God is just drawing us to himself and teaching us how to be more dependent upon him and having a closer walk with him and teaching us what it means to walk by faith. It could be any or all of those things. But what can't be going on while we're waiting is God's indifference. Because there are just too many passages in the Bible that prove to us and tell us again and again and again how much God loves us, how much he cares for us. Jesus would say, I I will never leave you or forsake you. God knows every hair on your head, he would say. Paul would say, even though we, we are not faithful to God, he is always faithful to us. David would talk about in the Psalms just over and over just how careful God is in his, in his watchfulness over us. So we may not know where God is, but we can take courage and comfort in knowing that he knows where we are. And while we may not know what God is doing specifically while we're waiting, we do we can know what he's doing generally while we're waiting and that is he's working. While we're waiting, he is working. And that should bring us comfort. So then what does it mean for us to wait well? Um, where am I? Uh, the, first, um, the first answer to that is something that, that is extremely easy to say, extremely hard to do, uh, and that is just to be patient. Over and over um, in the New Testament, when when we go through circumstances that are difficult, when we go through lengthy seasons where we feel like God is absent, when we're when we're carrying something that just seems really really heavy, the prescription, the New Testament prescription, is to persevere or to bear up under. Peter would talk about this in in First Peter two. Paul talks about this in Romans five. To bear up under, it communicates like, stand still. Don't move. Don't bail. Don't find some easier way out. It's hard. God knows it's hard. It's heavy. God knows it's heavy. Hold the weight and continue to be the person that God has called us to be. Continue to do what God has called us to do. Continue to keep our eyes on him and trust that he will provide when the time is right, that he is good uh, and, and he is kind and he will provide. And until then, I'm just going to continue to be patient. And then the second thing that we can do is just lean in and don't waste the weight. Because if God is working, if he is active and involved, we have an opportunity to partner with him. You know, we can sometimes feel like that our season of waiting 
is like this long intermission between the action of our lives. That we are being asked to endure some lengthy season on the sidelines before we can sort of get back into the game, get back into our lives, get back into the dream that God placed in our heart for our lives, get back into the blessings, get back into the good stuff that God has for us. And we're just waiting. But I'm convinced when I look at what, what God has done in my life, when I look at my, with my friends and family and the experiences they've had, when I look at scripture and I see what God does in people's lives through these seasons of waiting, I am convinced that in God's eyes, the season of waiting is the good stuff. That's when God works. That's when he's drawing us to himself in intimacy. That is when he's teaching us to walk by faith. That is when he's molding us and shaping us and using us in the lives of other people. So what does that look like? It means like if we're feeling abandoned by God, then it means that we pursue him all the more fervently. Or it means considering what is it that maybe God is wanting to do and shape in my life and talk to him about that and partner with him in that. Or what is it that God may be calling me to do? Some, you know, bold step of faith. Because we can, we can pray and expect and, and hope and, and wait for God to bring about a resolution. But, but maybe God is waiting for us to take that step of faith that he has already revealed. To make that phone call, to, to, to initiate reconciliation, to engage in some area of service. We're waiting on God. He's waiting on us. Or maybe considering, you know, there's, there's other people in my life. It's not the world. It's not just about me. And it's hard to wait. But there's other people in my life that I have an opportunity to encourage because they're waiting too on things. A few years ago, um, this book came out. It's called um, Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. And it is, um, it's, a, it's a collection of prayers and liturgies around human experiences. And a liturgy is not a word we use really around Chase Oaks. We're not a liturgical church. But to, to take all the weirdness out of that, a, a liturgy is just a well-thought-out prayer. That's all that is. But these um, these prayers, these liturgies are built around the most mundane of human experiences. Like, uh, there, there's liturgies in here. There's a liturgy for the paying of bills, uh, the preparation of a meal, uh, for changing of diapers, um, moving into a new home. It's like again and again, like more and more. There's dozens of these. And the idea is not so much that we need to artificially, you know, add some importance on these mundane experiences. Rather, it is assuming that these mundane experiences are already significant because God is at work and he is involved in every area of our life. It's just most of the time we miss it. And most of the time we don't recognize what God is doing or the, or the potential that's there. And so I want to read one of these prayers because it has to do with waiting. You know, I started this message talking about how universally hated the experience of waiting is, whether it's in the big areas of our life or, or in the, just the mundane daily irritations. So here is a liturgy for waiting in line. My life is lived, as my life is lived in anticipation of the redemption of all things, 
So let my slow movement in this line be to my own heart a living parable and a teachable moment. Do not waste even my petty irritations, O Lord. Use them to expose my sin and selfishness and to reshape my vision and my desire for better, holier things. Decrease my unrighteous impatience directed at circumstances and people. Increase instead my righteous longing for the moment of your return when all creation will be liberated from every futility in which it now languishes. Be present in my waiting, O Lord, that I might also be present in it as a Christ bearer to those before and behind me who also wait. As I am a vessel, let me not be like a sodden paper cup full of steaming frustration, carelessly sloshing unpleasantness on those around me. Rather, let me be like a communion chalice, reflecting the silvered beauty of your light, brimming with an offered grace. Amen. Man, gotta love good writing, right? There's some great lines in here. I love the line that says, As I'm a vessel, let me not be like a sodden paper cup full of steaming frustration, carelessly sloshing unpleasantness on those around me. Like that is quite the word picture. But I think the line that I love the most in this is where it says, Be present in my waiting, O Lord, that I might also be present in it. As a Christ bearer, to those before and behind me who also wait. Everybody is waiting on something. And it's hard for all of us. And we have an incredible opportunity to bring comfort in the waiting to those who are around us. You know, I know that... Um, I know, because I know a lot of the stories at Chase Oaks, that there are many people within the sound of my voice, many families, many couples, that are in the midst right now of a very painful season of waiting. And I'm sorry that you're going through that. Hopefully you can look at Scripture and see that you are in good company. The best of the best go through this. And I don't think it's, it is accidental that, or incidental that we are talking about this in the same chapter. I, I mentioned, you know, this is the Elroy chapter, the God who sees. God sees you. It may not feel like it, and he hears you, and it may not feel like it, but he's working. And then what does it mean then to wait well? Hang in there. Be patient. Don't bail. Don't just find another way out. Just continue to be who God's called you to be. Continue to do what God's called you to do. Continue to cry out to him. Continue to seek him. And trust that he will provide in his good time. It is not always going to be like this. 
and consider and lean in to what God might be doing. Is, he, is, he, is there opportunity for him to shape you in some way? Is there opportunity for him to, to draw you into deeper intimacy? Is there opportunity to, to engage uh, and, and take a, a faith step of your own? Is there an opportunity for God not to just work in circumstances and work in you, but to work through you as you are a conduit of compassion and care for others that are also waiting. If you are waiting, God is working. He's working. Don't waste the wait. I'm going to have us pray. Um, If you would, just bow your heads. Um, And before I pray for us, I want to give you an opportunity to talk to God about these things. If you are in a season of waiting, you have probably prayed this prayer a thousand times before, but I'm just going to ask you to yet again offer up your request to God of what you're waiting for. Be honest with Him on how difficult it is to wait. And then tell Him that you trust Him. And that you know that He's good and that you know that He's working even though you don't see it. And ask for wisdom and courage to wait well. Heavenly Father, waiting is terrible. It is terrible. But you use it as a tool to shape us and to do your work in the world. And you tell us that you are good. And you remind us that you're always there. And you tell us to trust you in the wait. And it's hard. But Father, I pray that you would give us courage to wait well. And I pray for those who have been waiting a long time. I pray for them. It feels like the curtain has been closed for a very long time. And I pray for them that you would open the curtain soon. And that you would rain down your blessings soon. And you would make yourself known soon. And that you would nevertheless keep us strong and faithful in the meantime. We know that you're good. We know that you love us. And we are grateful that you're always working. In Jesus' name, amen.